Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. In the City of Angels from Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, normally along with my lovely co-host Adrian Guberg, but she can't make it today, so she's here in spirit. And we're also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks. On 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio and iTunes and YouTube and Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher. Oh, my gosh. The list goes on and on. I'll just stop right there. In fact, we are voted number one caregiver podcast, which we are proud of, out of the top 50 on Player FM, and number two on Feedspot out of the top 60, and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, Compound Caregiving, Finding the Balance as a Caregiver but before I get started with my guest, Brianna Urquhart, Compound Caregiving, Finding the Balance as a Caregiver and Human. And before we get started, I want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Dr. Carrie Forrestal, Crushing Cancer, a Patient's Complete Guide to Managing a Cancer Diagnosis, The Caregiver's Take. So just a reminder that you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including the one we're doing today at caregiverdave.com or any of the other 26 global audio and video platforms I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Brianna, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're excited. (laughs) (laughs) I always like to ask my guests just who is Brianna Urquhart and why was she placed on this earth? I really feel that I was placed on this earth. I've always kind of had a clear purpose, which I'm really grateful for. Sometimes that's a challenge, but really to start filling the gaps that exist in our system. So my system is the Canadian healthcare system, which gets a really good reputation, but has a lot of gaps. And so I experienced that firsthand. So really taking that. And then I pursued a profession that helped me to start kind of directly addressing those gaps and also just teaching other people about them so they kind of know what to expect. I'm glad you said that because I have a friend who's Canadian and anytime she needs surgery, she comes to America and I Uh said, well, wait a minute. Everyone's telling me how great the Canadian system is. She goes, yeah, it's good, but you know, uh, know, I can't even remember what she said because she kind of got. (laughs) It's the trail off, right? (laughs) It's good, but. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that. Um, Let's talk about your background and your personal story, how you got to be a healthcare professional. So my father got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, Mm. MS, when I was three. So my parents were newlyweds. They were a young couple. Um, So he was early 20s. Um, And at that time, it's an autoimmune disorder. There's no known cure. And at that time, especially, treatments were very limited. And we got this diagnosis and he got sent home and my mother and I were just on our way. Um, So growing up, I was very involved in care because I was as an only child and as 
the system kind of had some gaps, which I'll mention. We just had to keep figuring things out. So I was mm. in the hospital all the time. And then, so he has a version where relapsing remitting, which basically means you're stable for could be months, could be years. And then you have a relapse wow. and it affects your functioning possibly permanently from that point. So it's very unpredictable. So when I was 13, he had a relapse and we started being told that he didn't probably have very long left because MS can be terminal. Um, what were his symptoms? So for MS looks different from patient to patient. For him, it was a lot of nerve pain. So chronic pain, chronic fatigue. Um, he was losing the ability to walk. Um, and then there's also cognitive sides because there's yeah. lesions on the brain. So yeah. memory, some changes to personality, decision-making. Um, at yeah. times it was kind of like my mom and I were the, were the partnership there, which is an right. odd dynamic. I have um, a relative who's a close relative who has the cognitive type. So far he's doing pretty good. Um, he's on medication, watches his diet. And he's fresher in the morning and a little fuzzier in the uh, evening. But I think he's doing great. Uh, what kind does your father have? So his is just at the time was called, um, at the time it was secondary relapsing remitting, um, which means it's a little bit more longer term. Um, he now is primary, uh, primary progressive, which means it's essentially more of an aggressive mm. uh, treatment. So he was a lot more of the, the physical symptoms yeah. now in adulthood it's um it's a lot more of the cognitive side but at the time when he, we were starting to have the okay he might be declining more rapidly conversation we were told that uh there would be a social worker coming into the picture because mm -hmm. apparently we were supposed to have one the whole time wow what determines whether it's aggressive or not aggressive or or long-term or short-term, or how fast it progresses? Uh, is it genetic? Can it be uh, we still don't slowed know, down or anything like that? There's certain medications, certain drug treatments, which are now being thought of to slow it down, but it's really interesting in that we just don't know. They actually just made a breakthrough discovery that it might have something to do with mono. Mm. Apparently they did. There's been a big study where if you the kissing mono, disease, right? Uh -huh, that's the one <laughs> where apparently all or most MS patients have had mono. Wow. But we're still learning. There's still so much that we, that we don't know. So that makes it challenging, uh, especially as caregivers as well, because there isn't a plan or a trajectory. It's sort of overnight things can kind of yeah. drastically change. Did I miss something or is he still alive or is he gone? He is. He oh, is. Good. So at the time, and it's interesting, you mentioned your friend at the beginning. At the time, we were told, okay, we're gonna, there's going to be this social worker. My mom knew. We knew nothing about social workers. So she thought that that meant she was a bad mom and that I was going to get taken <laughs> away, <laughs> which is how we learned what social workers do, which is not just that. Um, but that was kind of really significant because we were... A, supposed to have someone guide us through this whole process tell us what supports were out there right and they just missed us for no reason we have Indian no healthcare had a problem huh mm -hmm. so my father is alive however it is thanks to the american medical system because there was a new surgery being done at the time uh, a new treatment option that canada was not exploring for ms so we crossed the border 
see, and everyone who tells me how great Canada is and would, we should model them and this and that. And I said, hey, you know, there's a reason why people come here. So don't always believe what you hear. That's my philosophy. Yes. I think Canada has a really good primary healthcare system in that, yeah. you know, you visit your family doctor, it's free. You visit. Yeah, it's better ER. than nothing. We, it is better than nothing. And if you're poor and indigent or homeless, uh, yeah, you're in good shape, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just for some of the other stuff. And especially yeah. like medication, even we pay uh, my dad's current medication route, which is so far looking, looking really good. It costs $25,000 a year. Wow. For one pill. And you get that free? Uh, Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is just primary, like ER yeah. surgeries, primary life care. Otherwise, stuff, you know. Or... Otherwise, it's all we do. Still, we do still pay for for healthcare in the form of like physiotherapy, medication. Yeah, we all still pay for that over here. What other gaps and problems in the Canadian system uh, are you aware of, and you're trying to bring uh, awareness to? Um, so definitely even just the response for diagnosis in hospital, we have a big problem, which I experienced, which is why I'm in this field where you get diagnosed, you get sent home, especially if you're wanting to go home and you don't kind of dig your heels in and ask some questions and kind of go, no, hang on, slow down, explain <laughs> this to me. What does this mean? We kind of throw people into it and it's a lot harder of a system to navigate that way. And there's different agencies for different things. So you have to overnight learn the lingo, know what's there and kind of contact all of them. If you don't end up with a case manager or social worker, which can happen. So I know what a compound fracture is and I know what compound interest is, but what is compound caregiving? I think a lot of people don't realize, but compound caregiving is really common. At least it is here. I'm sure it is around the world. It is when essentially you are caregiving for more than one person, right? So a lot of the time in my case, right? My mom was a caregiver for my dad and also still had to caregive a small child growing up. And at one point in time was also caring for her mother who at one point in time had cancer. Yeah, we we call that the sandwich generation. You know, Mm they're sandwiched between two uh, care recipients and and sometimes it's a club sandwich, you know, you got elderly parents, you got uh, kids and you got a spouse. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, what role did you play in caregiving um, with either your father, your mother or both of them? So it was interesting. My mom and I were always and we're very close now to this day, kind of because mm-hmm. of it. But we were almost kind of the partnership in a lot of sense. Um, my dad had to still work. And the fatigue meant that he couldn't do as much to kind of compensate for the working. So I remember attending appointments, um, picking up medication, actually to this day after my dad's recent relapse where the diagnosis shifted and it uh, attacked his body in a different way. I actually am still to this day doing parts of his physiotherapy with him. And now that I know a little bit more about the field, I'm actually the one sometimes calling for his appointments um, and making sure he understands what's being told to him and lining up different things like that. His doctor appointments, I assume. Yeah. Doctor appointments, neurology appointments, all of he's that. Not, stuff. He's not in business or working or anything anymore, is he? So the 
interesting thing is he is. Um, he he's in the trades, uh, which is incredible. We were told by doctors on more than one occasion that sometimes the only reason he still walks is because he still walks. <laughs> <laughs> so he does still work. Sometimes it looks a little bit different, but he does still lead a really determined life. What does he do? What does he work at? So he's in he's in drains actually. So drains and contracting. Oh, drains. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, that's very hands-on considering he lost the use of his hand at one point. The fact uh-huh. that he can still do a hand-on job is pretty cool. <laughs> and how does he walk with, with AIDS? Some kind of, uh, sometimes. So he can, sometimes he can be he, on his own if he, if he, if he has to be as far as walking without, uh, assistance. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, he has the past so he can park closer to, to things and he has wow. to take more breaks, but he's very stubborn. So if he can avoid using an aid, yeah. even though it would make things easier. And he has he, a level of independence that he's fighting for every day. Exactly. Well, those are the, those are the therapeutic patients that seem to do best, you know, as opposed and, and having a caregiver like that, you know, I had a mother uh, in law who lived with us when my wife first had her stroke and, you know, she was all over. Oh, let me get that for you. Oh, no, 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 don't do this. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, I'll cook. I'll cook that. You don't have to do that. And the uh, occupational therapist says, you know, you're training her to be an invalid. Uh, and whereas I was the opposite. Oh, here, you can reach that. Let me push you. Give you a little push. Reach a little harder, a little higher. Oh, you're almost there. And she, you know, the mother, of course, thought I was mean. But mm-hmm. the says your wife is so independent today because of your attitude and how you treated her. So, yeah, tough love. It makes a big impact sometimes. I, th- <clears throat> I find that when, you know, if I believe that in discount, maybe that, oh, you know, you can't let me do it for you. You start internalizing that, right? Well, yeah. everybody else thinks I can't <clears throat> anyway, so maybe I can't sure. as opposed to the other way around. So let's talk about uh, burnout and its uh, isolation and the role in that. And if, if you aren't careful and assertive with self-care, what could happen? And, and it's not the S word. You know, I did a, a, um, a TEDx talk called caregivers must be selfish in order to survive. Mm-hmm. A lot of people freak out when you say that, you know, they think that you're, oh my gosh, you know, cause selfish is such a dirty word. I was going to uh, title my book with that. And they, and the publisher said, no, 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 you can't do that. I should have just done it anyway. But, but yeah, um, the uh, TEDx people loved the word selfish and the, and the excitement that it generated. Well, it's very provocative. I, so in my work as a therapist, now I support caregivers. The hardest part is even just getting them in the door. <laughs> and oftentimes yeah. they say, well, it's, selfish or i don't have anything to complain about and when they say selfish or well this is selfish sometimes i like to challenge them (sighs) right up front and ask so what just to get that discomfort i think i'll try that so what (laughs) (laughs) because we often have this mindset especially if with compound caregiving so i'm actually just in this boat recently as of a week ago my grandfather got uh, sent home, diagnosed in-home palliative care for wow. stage four cancer. So sorry. Yeah, you've got oh. your hands full. Yeah. So it's one of those where overnight, if I'm not careful, I'm now still having to work, right? I still have bills to pay. I still have clients to care for. I have kind of two different levels of caregiving now. And if I am not careful with myself, 
I'm not going to be able to keep up with any of those. Yep. And then we're in trouble. <laughs> so what's your formula to avoid burnout? You have a, like an acronym or something, or just a, a, a bunch of um, a lists or rules? I'm working on the acronym. I'm working on the acronym. But first, <laughs> I always try to catch myself with the selfish narrative, right? Okay. Anytime I think oh, I don't, I don't have time for this. I kind of stop myself and go, there's 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Right. There is time somewhere in that day. Um, and sometimes it's about compartmentalizing throughout the day, right? Sometimes you do have, you know, I have this, that maybe is an appointment, right? You can't adjust that appointment. And then there's other daily things that need to get done. Yeah. And when I'm a therapist in session, I can't, I can't be thinking about what's at home. So there is compartmentalizing there, but what I try really, really hard to remember and work on with my clients is when you're compartmentalizing, there has to be a time for you, yeah. right? It's about, it's not about suppressing. We often <clears throat> do when we're compartmentalizing, we often go, okay, we're going to push that down. We're going to deal with it later. <laughs> yeah. And, and then later never isolation. Comes. Isolation is bad too. You know, I have, I have an acronym. Uh, you can steal it or use it if you want. It's called CARE, C-A-R-E. I like it already. <laughs> the C stands for communicate with others. I mean, you know, uh, let your friends know that you still want to be friends, that nothing's really changed. Mm-hmm. Don't dump on them and rag on them uh, the way you would a support group. Otherwise, they're not coming around. Nobody wants to be a Debbie Downer, you know. And so the A stands for ask for help. You can't do it yourself anymore, you know, and people who don't ask for help usually will burn out. R stands for rest. The average caregiver gets two hours sleep every single night. Well, I can't survive on that. I need eight. Um, And the E stands for eat, eat healthy, nutritious foods. Don't eat junk food. Junk food's got sugar, chemicals, processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you. And that's why I wrote my book. And I I think that acronyms... Great. I think that's an amazing acronym because exactly like that, you know, when you say eat, rest, a big part of it for me is back to basics, right? We often think of self-care as selfish, which it's not. And then it has to be complicated, right? It has to be bubble baths. It can be, but But we think of it as very specific. Well, you see, I justify the selfishness because you are being selfish. I mean, you can try to convince a caregiver they're not being selfish and you're not going to convince them. So you have to just tell them, well, it's okay to be selfish. Yeah, you're being selfish. But you know what? You are so selfless that you're like way over here in the pendulum. And we just want to bring the pendulum over here to balance. And in order to do that, you got to be pretty selfish, you know, because we you are never going to be totally selfish because it's not in you. You know, Mm -hmm. once that pendulum is like over here, then you'll start feeling legitimate selfishness and then you can come back. But you got to be balanced. You know, you got to take care of you. Put your oxygen mask on first. Otherwise, you're both going down. You know what I mean? And I always I actually always use that oxygen mask analogy because when you're in a plane and you're sitting there and they say (laughs) it, I talk about this professionally and I still cringe a little bit when they go, "Okay, put your mask on before putting on. And they always use the example of your kid think like, oh, that sounds kind of rude. I'm just going <laughs> to let them. But what it actually is, is it's not that, oh, you have a little bit. It's that you're kind of, you know, doing something nice for yourself first. It's that if you don't put your oxygen mask on, you're going to be unconscious. Yep. And then you're not having anyone with their oxygen mask. 
and that's pointless. And, and I can empathize with them. I, I, I'm on a plane all the time. And if my little four-year-old, now granddaughter, because my four-year-old is now 42, <laughs> uh, if, if she was screaming and crying and the plane's going down and, and everyone's you know, yelling and the masks are dangling, do you really think I'm going to put my mask on first? No, I'm going to try right. to calm her down and try to get her mask on. And I'll probably black out and we'll probably both die. You know, uh, and so, you know, I'm the caregiver's caregiver. And even I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> right. It really kind of challenges us. Yeah. I think people f- sometimes don't realize that it is, you know, from the outside perspective, it is really hard as a caregiver to be yeah. selfish because sometimes we think that takes away from who we are as a caregiver, that we're not doing it right or we're not doing a good job. And it takes some shifting of, you know, if you only care for other people and you don't care for yourself, you're not going to have anything left to care for that other person. That's where compassion fatigue comes in. And that's where those frustrations and those challenges can become worse because we just have nothing left. And it also depends on who you were before you became a caregiver. If you were, you know, a totally independent person and you had no problem, you know, doing things for yourself and you had no problem uh, asking for help and you had no problem saying no, you're probably going to be a very healthy caregiver. But mm-hmm. if you're the, the uh, you know, the person who's always rescuing people, the person who's always enabling people, person who can never say no, and you're always overcommitted and you're doing way too much, you're in trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have more of an uphill battle. Yeah. So it's those people that need the help. Uh, and unfortunately, there's only 10% of healthy caregivers. 30% are, are dying, you know, literally dying because of mm-hmm. the stress because uh, they don't take care of themselves. And the rest of them are kind of, you know, they become sick, become hospitalized, and eventually they need a caregiver of their own. And so th- there's a lot of work to do. But like you said, uh, caregivers don't, um, you know, break their neck to come through the door for help. Uh, you can lead a horse to water, can't make him drink. It is so hard getting a caregiver to, you know, listen to my podcast or come to a caregiver support group or to do anything that is helpful for themselves. They've got a million excuses. Right. Exactly. You always hear, you know, that it's, oh, you know, again, I don't have time or, oh no, I need to be here for this. Or what if something happens if I'm gone and, you know, it's trying to be really creative. I've done, you know, tried different things. You know, if you find anything that's helpful, that would be, that would be awesome. Cause I find that once you can get them in the door, you also have to keep them coming back. <laughs> Cause then it's like, oh no, I invested one hour in myself. That's it for the year. Like I'm good yeah. now. Yeah. And keep them from, from leaving early and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, perfectionism is also a problem, you know, well, no, I, I can't leave, uh, you know, uh, anyone else because they only like me. And I say, well, that's tough. You know, you tell the person, listen, if I don't get away, I'm going to burn out and then you're, they'll put you in a nursing home, you know? So I have to get away. Someone is going to come in to watch you. I know you don't like them. I know you, you think they don't make your coffee correctly or, or they don't whatever, but you're going to have to put up with it or else, you know, sayonara. And so you, you got to give uh, your loved ones doses of reality and let them know how important it is for you to get away, for you to go get your nails done, for you to go get a massage, for you to 
um, uh, we, it's like our kids, right? Our two-year-old kids and you can't find a babysitter because your kids are awful. <laughs> you say, now be nice to this babysitter because we need them and we want them to come back. And um, caregivers find themselves having that same conversation with their right. loved one, like their kids, you know? Right. Okay. We need to keep this one. We like this one. <laughs> I think it is. And I find that perfectionism can, I even struggle with that, right? Where I have an image of, I want to be a hundred percent switched on, right? I want to always be in a positive mood and read their mind, right? No what the person wants when they want it or before they want it so I can appear. And that makes it more exhausting. I find I'm closer to burnout when I have this pressure on myself that if it isn't a hundred percent the way I maybe want it to be, I'm not a good caregiver or I'm not yeah. doing a good job. And perfectionists really need to understand that good enough is really good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect. No one is perfect. Only one guy is perfect. He walked the earth, you know, and he walked on water and turned water into wine, but he's not here and we will never be perfect in this life. And I think that with that perfectionism, right, when you say good enough is good enough, you know, we have expressions that drive me crazy, right? Like if, <laughs> if you can't do something right, don't do it at all. Sometimes yeah. doing something poorly is yeah. better than not doing it at all. That's right. Good enough is good enough. And get what you can get when you can get it, because it may not be around tomorrow. Right, exactly. And us having that external help come in, like you said, right? Sometimes it's okay. I can't be here right now. I need that space, no matter what it is, even if it's just, I need space, right? And we need to stop justifying needing that space, right? We're entitled to our own space. Uh And that outside help doesn't take away from who we are as a caregiver. We're not less of a caregiver because we have external help coming in. And there's so much available resources out there. People don't understand. They don't know about it. You know, if you're a vet, you can get aid uh, just for being a veteran, uh, the spouse of a veteran, and a family of a veteran, uh, county, you know, talk about all the different therapies, case managements, peer support groups that can benefit both caregivers and uh, their loved ones and where yeah, they can find them. There's so many. Uh, I know here in, in Canada, we also often have the benefit of being able to use online resources from the States. But even in, say, where I'm from, which is Ontario, we have a great caregiver network, which have like webinars, they have articles, they have peer support groups. And the webinars are even just some 101 stuff, right? Where what is respite? What is medical terminology? What can you expect from different diagnoses, right? Just to start putting things in context. Um, Most hospitals, we fell through the cracks, but if anyone watches this and learns from that, we have social workers in our hospitals, which are supposed to help you navigate the process. And if that hasn't been offered to you, ask, Right. Wiki wheel gets the oil. Remember that. (laughs) For sure. Sometimes it can feel uncomfortable, but advocating for yourself is is key. So in Canada, we have, or Ontario specifically, we have what we call the LINS, which is the local health Mm -hmm. integration network. And if you type in and search that and you type in any diagnosis or caregiver, it gives you by city or by region all the resources available to you, all the different agencies, organizations. So it's a really good directory. Cool. 
I can't believe how fast our time has gone today. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, how can listeners uh, reach you, find out more about what you do? So I am consistent across social media platforms as Simply Social Work uh, or my name, uh, which is Brianna Urquhart. And so Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and I also have a YouTube channel called Simply Social Work, uh, which has weekly videos. Um, and you can find all of that as well as a regular weekly blog on caregiver support and mental health on my website, which is simplysocialwork.ca. Well, thank you again, Brianna, for coming on. Uh, it was a great show. You're a great interview, and I'm excited to have have you. And again, a reminder that all our live shows become recorded pod and videocasts on all our platforms that I mentioned earlier. Uh, don't forget to check out my membership website, caregiverdave.com. It's a free membership support community with lots of tools, resources, free gifts, as well as a Facebook page with the same name, Caregiver Dave. And please check the please click the like button below on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine. So again, thank you to all my listeners out there and to you, Brianna, all over the world. Thanks so much for tuning in twice each and every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. And might I suggest my new book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, even to you, Brianna, it is an amazing book. It's, it's the book I've been writing all my life. It's my fourth book. But this one is the granddaddy baby of them all because I'm sharing my gift of wisdom that I've been gifted with all my life. And, you know, I, I felt selfish just keeping all this wisdom to myself. So I'm sharing it with the world. Now I had uh, five minutes of Dave's hammock wisdom videos, but not everyone's on the internet. Not everyone's on YouTube. So this is a great opportunity. It's on sale, the pre-order. It's going to be released Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. But if you pre-order the Kindle right now for 99 cents, not only will you be getting a great book, but you will be helping me reach number one on the Amazon number one bestseller list. And that will help us reach even more caregivers. So please do that today. Go to um, Amazon.com. <laughs> That's a good thing of that. Uh, look for our podcast on your favorite platform or on caregiverdave.com. And until next week, same time, same channel, may God richly bless you. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels... Like the sun will never rise Like the birds will never sing again 
见证。